We'll do it live. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Fucking thing sucks. All right. It's the uh, live show this week. Uh, I'm Nick from the Intervention Pod, Nick He Him, and I've got Jared He Him from Australia. Still don't know how else to phrase that, buddy. <laughs> we got Jamie She Her from the uh, Transex Bombshell stream. We also got uh, Lycan He Him. Uh, how you doing tonight, guys? Hello. Pretty good. Right. Oh, good. Great. Or what time is it for you, Jared? I said night, but oh, it's like eleven a.m. Eleven on a Monday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's um, why I'm drinking a I'm drinking a coffee right now. Beautiful. Jared's broadcasting from the future. That's right. Literally yeah, time Monday. What's the date Abolish over? Time zones. It's the twenty fourth the... over here. It's a Monday morning. Get on my level, guys. The We're 23rd. still rocking Sunday the twenty third. Yeah, I'm on the west coast. It's like five something over here. Got you, got you. So, I don't know where you guys want to get started tonight. I know Jared wanted to talk a little bit about like socializing under capitalism. Maybe we could start there and then wrap up with any like local updates after we have a little conversation on that. So, yeah, I mean, we can we can definitely do that. Yeah. I feel um, I feel I feel, uh, <laughs> I feel so unprepared though because <laughs> there be I thought Mike would be on here and he's like so he's usually. <laughs> Uh, the uh, he's usually the the engine room, uh, my man yeah. Mike. Um, but yeah, no, we we can talk. We can definitely talk about that. So like, I just wanted to basically just talk about the fact that um, I, I read a really, I saw a really interesting article, or it was a, it was an article about a study from like uh, it came out a few, I think it came out a few years ago, but people were talking about it recently, and it was basically talking about how people from the baby boomer generation when they were in their let's say 20s for example when they were in their 20s they would on average see one of their friends um once every day whereas uh currently this generation would say gen y and gen z uh on average according to the study at least see a friend uh on average once every week and i don't think that's got anything to do with like some kind of uh values type thing or lifestyle type thing i think i don't know what the study actually posited as the cause but i uh my theory is that it's uh got something to do with the fact that uh the the nature of work has changed so much in the last uh 30 40 years to such an extent that uh you know the casualization of the workforce and the uh yeah mainly the casualization of the workforce and the um I don't know what the other word for it, the flex- flexibility or whatever, like the fact that people don't really like work. The gigification nine- of, the, yeah. of the workforce, yeah. The gigification of the workforce and the fact that people don't really work nine to five jobs in like a, like a factory or some shit or an office. People don't do that anymore. They work like, you know, you, you have a group of friends, there's like five of you or whatever. Um, you want to organize to go do something and it's like half of you work Monday to Friday, the other half work weekends. It's um, it just doesn't work out, and just never works out. I think it's a pretty common experience. I think it's universal at this point. Yeah, we um, we have some studies coming out that back this up. Um, there was just recently a survey from the Center on American Life. So this is more of like a U.S.-based survey, but I mean they're actually reporting also that like forty-nine percent of people have like three close friends, and that's like twice as many it was like 27 percent in 1990 
which means people are starting to have on average less friends. It's like we had like 12% of interviewers that had zero friends and that's four times as many as 30 years ago. It's just people are losing that time to socialize to work and mm. the pandemic compounded it way worse than it was prior to the pandemic even. Well, yeah, no, I, know, sure. I know just like anecdotally speaking, when the pandemic, when the pandemic happened, because I live in a country that actually locked itself down. I don't know if you guys know what that's like, but uh... <laughs> we've, heard, we've heard. Yeah, yeah. We, we, heard, we, we have... heard some places did something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I live in one of the, I live in a almost functional country. And <laughs> <laughs> what is that like? Uh, it's, well, I can only say almost functional. It's not quite there, but. <laughs> At least we locked down for the for the COVID. Um, we locked down multiple times for like months. Um, the longest lockdown was like five or six months. Like it was crazy in 2020. And then 2021, we were locked down for another three months. So I know just anecdotally speaking, during that time, I fell sort of out of contact with a lot of people. Um, and then I had to work pretty hard once everything opened back up to re-establish connections with all the people i was friends with so obviously covid covid made it much worse um and you know there's no real there, i don't think there's any substitute for seeing people in person definitely to be not. honest the same yeah. study reported that social media causes feelings of isolation color me shocked <laughs> <laughs> i mean i could see that in terms of if we're comparing generations and generational experiences, I do think because it's, you know, the nature of work has changed. Capitalism is becoming even more all devouring and all consuming. But I do think that there is probably something to discuss there in terms of the presence of social media and how that affects, you know, people's relationships and your friends and how you perceive what's going on around you and how you communicate, right? But again, that that's something that I still think that if we're talking about capitalism, we could still go back and t talk about that as like a root cause for some of the particular issues that social media may cause, right? Because I think we could probably all agree that in principle, social media is fine, right? It's just the way that yeah. it's incentivized to make people like, you know, keep up with the Joneses or whatever. And then, you know, just the certain things yeah. that it exposes people to, you know what I mean? In principle, having access to people that you can communicate with all over the world, it's great. You know what I mean? At least, I, you know, it should be. But again, like with everything, capitalism finds a way to, you know, distort and warp it, right? Well, I know, so, that, I know one thing... Uh, interesting statistic is that a lot of people de have developed like eating, like particularly young women have developed eating disorders because of Instagram specifically. Um, purely from just seeing, if you go on the discover thing on Instagram, you can just look at the, the, um, you, all these people with like perfect, quote unquote, perfect bodies or whatever, just at your fingertips, just all the time. And it would be, uh, it would be pretty damaging to your self-esteem if every time you looked at your little, your little phone, that's all you saw, you know, and obviously we, people tend to compare themselves to other people. That's just what we do. So yeah, you're right. In principle, it's social media is like, could be good for like communicating with people, but in the way it's implemented now. Yeah. And also it's like you, you, we don't see people as much in person anymore because of the, the nature of the world. 
Um, but we do talk to people on social media. And I think a lot of the time that kind of feels like you've, you're keeping in touch when in reality it's not re- – there's not really a substitute for seeing, like, friends of yours in person. Like, it's just not – I don't think it's the same. Like, I caught up with a friend the other day who I hadn't seen in months, but I've been, like talk- – I've been, talked to him on, like uh, – you know, Steam chat when we play games together and stuff like that and message him every day. And then I caught up with him in person. I was like, holy shit, I, we, I never organized to like catch up with you in person because I was like talking to you on social media. And it's like, this was just such a better experience and nicer and good for everyone involved. And it's just like, you kind of forget. You kind of forget, you know? Yeah. Um. Recently, I just... I've been talking to this friend of mine that we matched on Tinder and we've been talking for like a year and a half and we had plans to hang out in person, but like a lot of the time it fell through. And recently, like last week, I me, me and them just had the opportunity to actually hang out and it felt like then is when our friendship actually started, which is very weird because we, we've been talking for a year, but like now that we've actually hung out in person, it feels more like real and solidified. To yeah, your no, point. We, we're definitely discussing this on Twitch. Um, there's mental health spaces. Um, there's streamers that will dedicate streams to just checking in with their community and discussing mental health topics. And reoccurring theme is to point out and make apparent, especially to the Twitch community, the difference between an actual friendship and a parasocial friendship. And parasocial stuff is like yeah, very interesting. This is a very new, like humans, we've evolved over the past, what, 100,000 years or less to be social creatures, but this is a new form of socializing that wasn't available to us before. And we're just tripping all over ourselves, like trying to figure out how to, what to do with this large amount of information about people that you don't actually have like a socializing, you know, experience with, but you know about them and it's not the same. It's not being social, it's parasocial. And so, yeah, this is, this is a very common frequent topic and it's, I don't see a solution in, in sight. So yeah, you know, I'm thinking because I actually was able to get together with some college friends this past weekend. We actually played rugby, and so we tried to organize like a little rugby reunion, to, you know, smoke meat and drink what? beer and union everything like league? that. What are you, union? Union, yeah. Rugby union, yeah. Classic. <laughs> so One it was of the only uh, real sports. Sorry, I didn't mean to go off on No, no, no. I mean, I, I love rugby. We can talk about, we should talk about that sometime <laughs> as well. It's, uh, it's, it is a fantastic sport. But in any case, you know, we, we, so we, we tried to get this, uh, you know, just like a little reunion together. And, you know, obviously I'm speaking of it from a perspective where, you know, people have gone, the people that I know went into like, you know, professional careers, like college educated and everything like that. But I think broadly, this system has incented people to kind of do that as well, right? Like you talk about, like, Jamie, you talked about like certain phenomenon and how it's changing. I mean, for most of human history, I think we've lived in the communities that we were born, right? And I guess, again, from my perspective, I'm seeing a lot of people, myself included, moving away from, you know, my hometown. I was, you know, born in like a rural town, you know what I mean? And there was not much work for me to do beyond, you know, like the hospital, the school. And there was a lot of people that move beyond that, right? So it's like, one, it's pushing you from, you know, your family 
and like your high school friends, right? And then you can make more friends in college wherever you go or, you know, wherever you move on to the next stage in life. And again, people are driven, you know, by the need to make money to find a job further and further away. So it adds another like layer of complication in maintaining these relationships, right? So I, I don't know. It's just... <clears throat> I think we all like, you know, as we always do, we try to talk about capitalism, but I'm just thinking about like, you know, humans with all this stuff, change in technology, transportation. I mean, all of this is like a very recent phenomenon that we have to deal with. And I don't think our brains to that point have actually figured out how to cope with all of this change and adapt to it, you know, and I think we're all collectively freaking out a little bit, honestly. Yeah. Or a lot of it. <laughs> Definitely. And it's like, especially here in the states and i can say this without a doubt being here in los angeles that they are just privatizing open spaces you know we've been discussing how for years for i don't know a couple hundred the commons that that honestly that's yeah that's a foreign concept to most americans that they don't even really get the idea of common lands that the community just has access to like we think everything is owned. Everyone has the rights of all the land around us. And that's also becoming true to just like park space and things. Like if you can't like purchase something to have access to that space, then you don't have rights to be there. And then even further here in Los Angeles, they just recently passed like a municipal code making it illegal to just exist in public space. If you're lying, sleeping, sitting down, you know, doing things humans do in their leisure. So if you're not actively purchasing or being a consumer, you don't have the right to be somewhere. And that's becoming more and more prevalent. Making it Yeah, that municipal code also um, made it even more illegal to be homeless because it made loitering in public spaces also illegal. Yeah, you just can't exist. Like, if you don't have a purpose and you're not like shopping, if you're not being a good little consumer, you shouldn't be there. Is what they're basically telling you. They kick, they kick, um, they'll kick high schoolers out of shopping centers just for being there if they don't buy anything. And it's like, what fucking harm are these high schoolers doing? They're just sitting around. They're just chilling. But they, the security will come and kick them out because they know they're not buying anything. And it's like, all right, and that's like. But it's like the shopping centers, like the malls or whatever you guys call them, are like they're the communal spaces now, basically. Yeah. When my parents were when my parents were growing up, and my grandparents, uh, just a little story about my hometown is there was a there was a big dance hall in town, and everyone met their husbands and wife at this big dance hall. The whole community would go there, like every week, and there would be like dancing, and it was free entry and you know, you could buy drinks and stuff, but they were like so much cheaper than drinks are now. You know, I, if I go get a beer, I'm paying nearly $10, 10 Australian dollars, which is like five or six US dollars. So it's like, I'm paying a lot of, we pay, it pays, it's a lot of money to just buy beer now. But everyone met their spouse at these, these, this dance hall, right? And it was, uh, it was a private business or whatever, but it was like the period of abundance back after World War II, which is why, even though it was, capitalism back then the period of abundance meant that you know people worked normal hours and then could socialize afterwards whereas now we don't really have any abundance and we live in late capitalism where it's like you have to work 60 hours a week for fuck all money uh most people that is and um 
yeah, so like they they would all meet at this dance hall, and it was this huge communal thing. You know what that that dance hall is now? It's a fucking KFC. Oh my god. Yeah. Also, bathrooms have codes on them in certain restaurants. Like you can't you can't use the bathroom unless you buy something, which is absurd. Like what? Yeah. So these no. like, these dance halls and all that they're gone. They've been replaced. It was replaced with a KFC. These traditional communal spaces where you would meet your friends and you would meet your husband or your wife or whatever long term girlfriend boyfriend. That's where you would meet them. Now you have to go to. You want to go to do that you have to go to these nightclubs you have to go to uh nightclubs or the pub or whatever but if you for a lot of young people it's nightclubs which cost you know you got to pay like ten dollars to get in right off the bat oh there's always apps you know if you want to pay for the premium but i mean like in if you want to meet people in in person uh just go out and meet people you have to go to these places that cost a lot of money you can't just you, you know you can't just go to a free community sort of dance hall type thing anymore or just pay monthly to text strangers that that yeah. seems to be the business model these days oh yeah, yeah. dating apps. but i mean even dating it's it's so expensive though just in terms of like being able to go out and just take another individual out to have a, a night out you know what i mean and then just to this whole point about you know you're incentive incentivized you know both by law it just as existing within the society, like to kind of like pay and move along, you know, and I think some of that was like COVID, like table limits and things like that. Right. But it just had me the other thinking the other night, like I took my wife and I went out and it was just like, you got like a time card that's, it's like, okay, you've got like 90 minutes at this table. So like to that point, like how do you even get into like a, you know, kind of like a relaxed setting where you're talking to people maybe at the bar next oh, to you wow. or something like that, right? When you have it in your head that you need to like, you know, force feed, drink your beer, you know what I mean? And then oh, like get yeah. out at like 90 minutes, you know? And, and it's like, I don't want to get too extreme, but there's all these like little things that I find lately that I'm just like, this is like really fucked up in this context, right? And not everything should be like, like this shit is just that we take for granted and accept as normal. Like we just need to be like, this is not normal. Like this is not a normal setting to, you know, socialize in, right? Like we can build better things for people, you know, just to the point about like the dance halls and things like that, you know, look, talking to like my parents and their generation, very similar thing, like a small town. And my grandpa always talks about like these dances that he would go take the girls at to and him and his buddies would meet up, you know, and then like my for my mother and father, it was like roller rinks, like roller derbies. But like, you know, like you'd see in like Stranger Things or whatever, right? I'm guessing in like the 80s, yeah. but where people would get together as part of the community. And like to that point, they're either shut down or they're like a strip mall, you know what I mean? Something like that. They're, they they just don't exist anymore. Prohibitively expensive, like right? You go. Well, you want to go. And to now a it's like a boutique now. thing, right? It's like. Yeah. And you <laughs> go to a roller rink now, or whatever. More... You... I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. You go to a ro- roller rink now. You're gonna be paying if you don't bring your own shoes. You're gonna be paying to hire your own skates and then pay entry to go in there and then. You know, and then of course they'll have their food and their drink in house that you can't bring in that they will charge yeah. through those for. So it's like, like, oh my god! Yeah. And then even more terrifyingly, um, here in Los Angeles, at least, and I'm sure it's common in other cities, we have these groups. They're known as the Business Improvement District. Um, they're I hate it. Yeah, they're essentially like <laughs> mall cops with free reign in a specific area. And literally their job is just to like harass the unhoused and make people who aren't consuming feel uncomfortable. 
That's essentially their function. And they have way too much involvement with the development in the local area. And essentially each like commercial hub in LA has one of these business improvement districts, which really they're just like commerce enforcement agents. That's literally what they are. Um, it's very calm. I mean, we've been going toe to toe with them in, in various areas just to try to get them to stop harassing the unhoused without cause, like things like that. And it's, it's like they're accepted socially, but like, they're not even cops. Like they have no jurisdiction whatsoever. You know, not that cops should have jurisdiction, but it's just crazy. Like they're literally creating enforcement agencies and we're going towards a direction where it's like socially, you can't do anything unless you're consuming. Like that's the reality that we're starting to find ourselves in. Even when it's like a public park, you have to like rent the boat swans or do something. Like they're finding ways to quantify and like charge for everything. You got to pay for parking if you drove there. Yeah. Oh yeah, parking tickets for college students too. Like you need a permit in order to park on campus. Crazy shit. And just to go back to like we were just talking about, like this isn't normal. It's like I, I'm always careful about that word because like society is always marching forward. Like we're always trying to advance or adapt or change, but it's like, we definitely never had like a way of like social media specifically quantifying human engagements. Like people get so obsessed with the number of likes on their comments. And if you're debating with somebody and arguing with them, did you have more likes than the person that you were arguing with? And it's like, we used to debate things and there was opinion and both people left, you know, having their opinion and and their feeling of as how the engagement and interaction went. Now people can go, ha, I have more support than you do. It's quantified. And it's just causing this like alienation and this binary mode of thinking that somebody has to be right. And that we can't just like coexist and learn to, you know, be people instead of just always having to be right, always having to win. And things are starting to like encourage that behavior. Because yeah, of engagement, engagement to feed the algorithm. Yeah, I think that's capitalism doing its, uh, its, I know capitalism as a system isn't dialectical, but it creates environmental factors that feed into, into like, you know what the liberals say about like, oh, we have greed and all that. It's capitalism rewards this one impulse. And it's like teaching a pet, once you're rewarded doing something, it starts to learn that as a habit. So that's just, if capitalism's going to keep getting worse and worse because it's feeding people this one instinct. And then you start to get this, this like precursor to barbarianism where people are going to start doing worse and worse stuff in order to maintain whatever resources they have a hold of. Yeah, no, I completely agree. We're being taught that you don't push through discomfort for reward you push through discomfort because that's how it is. And if you complain, then you're not, you're not, you know, an adult. And we've had this weird, just like, especially with like mental health and like this, the entire like social narrative of, of at least the United States. And I can only speak of the U S that like, you must pay people to take care of things for you. Like you can't just like call your neighbor to help you move stuff on average anymore usually you have to like hire a moving company or like i don't know like a an app to do like a gig worker 
Like we're quantifying everything. Like everything has some type of like, like reward, like the, like echo, like a capitalist setup. Like that's the, that's the only way to approach things. And that's how we've been engineered to think how problems are solved. And that's just not true. There are so many ways to solve problems without even involving capitalism. You, you mentioned like getting your neighbor to help you move. Most people don't even know who their neighbors are anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't, true. I don't, I know my neighbors just by virtue of their dog keeps coming over here. So I had to take it back. <laughs> but outside of that, I, I wouldn't know my neighbor like, and most places I've lived, I've not known my neighbors at all. I've yeah. Never it's been extremely true. It's a very isolating culture that we're developing. People used to have, people used to have, um, you'd have a street, you'd have a street party every year. Like yeah. someone would host, everyone in the street would come around. Um, I've, I've been to a couple uh, at places. They'd have a street. It's I don't know if it's called a street party or maybe it's like a block party. Yeah, block yeah it's party. called a block party over here. Yeah, yeah, block party. Well, I, I live in like suburbia, so it's not really a block. It's more, it's just a street. But yeah, it's like a, <laughs> yeah. everyone on the street's invited to someone's house. You know, everyone brings their kids and stuff and you have, you know, um, some drinks and there's food and it's nice. But yeah, it's just... People don't, I don't think people do that as much anymore as they used to. To do that here, you would need a permit. And to pay for that permit, you probably need a sponsor. Really? Yeah. Have a block party? I think illegal block parties are still a thing. And like, I don't know if it happens in like white communities as much, but I know New York with its diversity, like block parties are still a very big part of the scene, like uh, Jamaican barbecues and stuff. Um, but that's entirely anecdotal. I listen to a lot of rap songs and they talk about the block parties. So I think that still happens to some degree, at least in diverse areas. It's just wild. It's wild to think about needing a permit to have a social, like a smallish social gathering of people. Yeah, same with protests. Like that defeats yeah. the whole purpose. It's absurd. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, in Australia, you can't. It's illegal to strike in Australia unless you get a permit. Um, and it, it has to be within a uh, a bargaining period. Um, well, yeah, a negotiation period where they're negotiating a new contract. That's when you're allowed to do a quote unquote strike. Except it's usually for a few hours or a day, and also half the staff are still working anyway. It's completely, yeah, it's completely gone. It's like, listen, if you want to change the status quo, you need to ask our permission first. And you must try to do it in a way that we have determined is the appropriate way. If you're controlling the resistance, is there really a resistance? Mm. It's, this, it's system. And like, you talk about how we have like capitalism. Like, it, it's not like these things are really planned. It's not like somebody's drawing a master diagram and going, how do we just eliminate every little bit of, of private time and, and, and everything? It's just like, this is just what capitalism does. Yeah. It doesn't have to be planned out if it's like an imperative of the, how the system operates to, you know, minimize free time of the working class. You know what I mean? Like that is just a functional imperative of the system. No one has to plan it. That's just how it will develop, you know? It's exploitive by its very nature. Yeah. To benefit right. in a capitalist environment, you must exploit another party. And I think it gets exacerbated in America, especially. Again, I'm speaking from a very, you know, America-centric perspective. But, you sure. know, because it's so built into this country to, like, take pride in your fucking work ethic. Like, we need 
we need to change that whole mentality because you know it's like it's literally like gets to be like a you know like I don't know, pardon my term here, but like a dick measuring contest for like who works harder. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I worked, you know, 12, 12 hour, not 12 hour shift yesterday, right? Like I'm a big man and I work hard. And it's like, why, why, why are we being prideful about that kind of stuff? You know, like I think they're literally... it starts in schools. What's that? I think it starts in schools with like the kids only doing extracurricular. So it looks good for college resumes and stuff and like burning themselves uh, insanely. I think it starts in school. Like a lot of that capitalist indoctrination starts in school so that you build the personality of like the perfect uh, worker. Mm -hmm. I know, I know just anecdotally speaking, I know a lot of people I went to school with because I went to a, I went to a private school, right? So um, a lot of, there were a lot of like high achievers sort of people in there and they were like, they would be doing the, I don't know if you have this similar thing in America, but we have, uh, we have a test here that you have to do to become a doctor and it involves, it's like a test, to, in it's, like an, it's like an ethics sort of test to become a doctor, uh, right? Okay. I know pe a bun all these high achievers who had no, most of them had no intention of becoming a doctor did the ethics test as part of their curriculum anyway, just in case they wanted to be a doctor. Um, at the same time, they were doing the other things for the other careers that would lead up to like engine working in engineering or being a lawyer. So they're like picking all the high paying, high prestige jobs and hedging their bets and being like, but, but like not focusing on one or anything, just be feeling like they have to do all three, um, which was pretty absurd to me and i thought it was absurd at the time when i was like i was just a kid um but yeah it absolutely starts in high school i mean you see i did i did i did a photo shoot for a school um recently where they were giving out awards at the end of it and you would have one or two people in that in the class who would get 50 million awards for like extracurricular stuff um but it's it's there's a there's a strong sort of incentive, uh, and I remember when I was at school, they would tell me I needed to do all this extracurricular stuff as well because it was like yeah. oh, you're, gonna, you're not going to get a career in such and such unless you do all these extracurricular things. And, and you know what? Once you get out of high school and you go to uni or you get another job, none of that fucking shit matters. Not a single, <laughs> not a single one of those things matters. All those high achievers, sure, some of them ended up as lawyers and doctors or whatever the fuck, but you could have done that without wasting time doing all this extracurricular uh, bullshit and all this pressure, having all this pressure put on you by your, like, parents and by the school um, to achieve. Yeah, the, so it's like the that, thing that, that bothers me... That Sorry, ethic is taught very... That ethic, sort of work ethic, is taught very early on, and people become... they get Once they get into the workforce, they start bragging about working a stupid amount of hours a week or how hard they work or how much extra effort they put in. And I talked, well, I worked for like a supermarket chain at one point and I would talk to people who are earning minimum wage alongside me. And they're talking about how much extra work they put in and how, um, how hard they work and how much the manager is going to appreciate it. And it's like, you, uh, you, this is cocked. Uh, like, there's no other word for what it <laughs> yeah. is. I, I, like, admit, I mean, I think it's like a Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Like at this point, like I always refer to it as housebroken. I, I've yet to find like, especially cause like that's probably more socially acceptable, but just like it's literally house, like Americans again, I, that's the perspective I have. We don't have this concept of being 
exploited by the labor force, we have this concept that we're going to win. Like we're somehow going to work so many hours. We're going to gain everyone's respect and your, your employer is going to actually like appreciate you. And that's just not true. If you, yeah, the meritocracy myth, yeah, you drop yeah. that on a factory line. I mean, that's a big, that's a big problem here because everybody here has the attitude that we're all just temporarily embarrassed millionaires, right? Like you can can make it if you just work hard enough, right? So you end up putting in extra hours. Oftentimes I've had those same conversations with people. It's like people are working like unpaid just because it's the right thing to do for the company, right? Which is totally (laughs) cut, right? Like it's just bootlegging. That's That's all it is. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and you're just like, instead of like, you know, going out to a happy hour with, you know, your friends and your coworkers or whatever, you're stuck there till seven or eight at night. And then you just got to go home, shower, feed yourself and get bed, get ready for bed and, you know, get ready to do it all over again tomorrow. You know what well, I mean? Hold on. Let's, let's flip this on its head. Cause like, we all know what the problem is, is like thinking that you owe the company something when in actuality, what would be good is if your company gave you the appropriate time to socialize so that you have, you know, healthy oh, yeah. mental state and can actually yeah, support network. I mean, if they gave you the resources to actually be able to afford an apartment, if they gave you like, you know, time off so that you could explore the world and get other perspectives and things so that as a society, we could advance instead of just <laughs> literally milking every second of every day they can from you and, compensating you as little as possible and again capitalism we know that stuff also in the end actually lowers productivity as well that's the other thing as well is it kind of bites it it kind of bites them in the 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 the, the employers kind of bites them in the ass a little bit but not obviously not enough for them to actually do anything about it but it's like there's a lot of studies that have come out that have been like yeah when you fucking overwork when you overwork people and underpay them especially when you underpay them um they don't um you'll have some people who will be have cucky brain and will overwork themselves and be like oh i'm gonna do this for the company blah 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 uh, like the bootlicking stuff but the majority of people will not put in uh the effort required to do the job properly um not that the employers actually care because they make the same amount of money either way but yeah, it's an interesting, it's a sort of interesting thing. And I, I don't I don't blame people for doing that. I think they should do that. If you earn minimum wage, you should put in the bare minimum yeah. effort to not get yeah. fired. 100%. Yeah. If, like, that's what I did when I worked for Coles. I got a job now that I like. <laughs> I put in a lot of effort into the job because I like it and I get paid well. That's the reason I put in a, the effort required. But when I worked for, when I worked for a supermarket chain pushing shopping carts around, we call them trolleys. I put in the bare minimum amount of work to just not get fired. That's mm. all I did because fuck them. I don't. Why? <laughs> why, why? Why? What? What else would I do? <laughs> and I mean, even, this even goes to show, like, in like actuality, like Walmart has one of the highest amounts of employees on like public services, and yeah. that like goes to show you, like. Their business model is to not pay them enough so that the state has to actually do something. And we all know that like our social nets, especially the ones that are for the, you know, the public 
aren't that they barely exist. Um, but it's, it's literally being used by a mega corporation as a way to like pay their employee. Like it's like an indirect payment for them. Like they know that the, these people will be on these public services and yet they don't pay them enough to be able to afford these things. It's, it's part of their business model. And it's becoming more and more common that we see, especially with like the gig worker economy, there are no worker protections available. Yeah. And well, second thought people, did a video. It's like, second I'm, I'm going to make it. Eventually I'm going to make it. And what, like how? What you got? Second thought, I was going to say second thought did a video on the gig economy, uh, specifically Uber. He talked about other stuff, but he said that, um, Uber drivers aren't considered full-time employees, so they can't unionize in America. Um, and he he mentioned something about the hours that they work. They work full-time hours, but they don't get paid equal to the amount of hours they work, which is absurd. There's all these loopholes with Uber and shit. It's, it's insane. Well, there was this huge uh campaign it was like a uh proposition i can't remember the name of it jamie you may know something about it but yeah and it, i think that was surrounding I'm sorry, it was basically what was it prop 22 yeah, but prop it, it was surrounding benefits right like employee benefits for like the gig economy like uber and all that kind of stuff right in in california well, specifically it's even more fucked up than that okay Prop 22 was drafted in conjunction with Lyft, Uber, mm -hmm. and like Postmates to give that industry an exception mm -hmm. to classifying their employees as yeah. employees. No, they, and that was going to be my point was just how much they spent and how many resources <laughs> they threw at that campaign, right, to prevent workers from being granted anything. Less than they would have spent paying people. Uh huh. Yeah. No, that's true. But it was still yeah, a lot of money. You know what I mean? I don't that's, think the. I don't that's think the Uber, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think the Uber business model would survive without operating the way it currently does. I think they viewed that as an existential threat because if they if they had to pay their workers as employees, they would be the same as taxis. Um, yeah. And that would drive their prices up to where they are no longer cheaper than a taxi. So people would. So Nobody, it's like, like taxis are cheaper now. FYI, yeah, yeah. Like, I use yeah, I yeah, yeah. use cabs now. <laughs> yeah, taxis taxis are actually cheaper than Uber now. But they they their business model it was like I think they viewed that as like an existential threat to their business model because it relies on that it it literally relies on that hyper exploitation and if they don't have it they can't exist. Is they're just a technology? They're just a fucking uh, app company, basically. Um, they don't pay for the cars. Like the Uber drivers have to pay for their cars. They have to maintain their cars. After you take the costs Gosh. of the Uber drivers maintaining their cars, they earn less than minimum wage. Um, the exemption here in California, at least, guaranteed that they were not owed minimum wage. Yeah, which is insane. You're explicitly saying we're not going to pay you the minimum wage, which is crazy. And we're supposed to be the liberal stronghold. Like, we're the one that's supposed to have the most... Yeah, communist California. Cali, the Cali hippie, they call the Cali communists or whatever. They call us California and stuff. Like, 
That is so hot. <laughs> this is near level hell. It's got nothing to do with communism, that's for sure. <laughs> nothing at all. The, the US state that's got fucking Silicon Valley in it, the most yeah. fucking gross and expert. And Hollywood as well. Hollywood and Silicon Valley, the two grossest, like most gross, exploitative, disgusting industries in the world. Yeah, and I'm right next to Seattle. I'm in Washington State. Yeah. Yeah, especially especially Silicon Valley. They just normalize that. That's the reason it's there. Is because yeah. all that stuff's just Asian shit. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I got some stats on that. So oh, it was wow. Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Instacart, and Postmates, and they spent two hundred and twenty-four million dollars advertising this prop and. I mean, basically misinforming people. They told everybody yeah. that this was going to benefit the gig workers, that this was securing oh. their rights or something. It was completely misconstrued. You could go back and look and see like all the articles that were cropping up and like all of the the mouthpieces, right? You know, and it's like here's why I, as a gig worker, I don't want this to happen, or I, I can't remember the correct phrasing. But the the phrasing in and of itself on the proposition was also confusing as hell, right? And they had campaigns around vote this way, vote that way, right? But then you get all the articles are saying like, here's why Prop Twenty Two would actually be bad for me, and why I wanted to keep it the way it is, right? It's just like it's so obvious on its face when those articles start coming out in like the New York Times opinion pieces. Like these people are, you know, they're targeting workers. And they're using these outlets to do so, right? It's the same thing with every, it's the same thing with the wars that we see going on right now. It's the same shit. It's terrible. And it's like all, I mean, it, we know this. It, we, the, the end stages of hyper capitalism have been planned and predicted. We, we've all read the book. And it's just funny to see it keep finding ways to keep itself alive. It's just like a hydra, like you could cut a head off and then another head pops up kind of thing. Like it just, I don't seem, the only thing I can see that would make capitalism like at this point implode on itself is like global catastrophe. Like if the environment does. Yeah, we had a pandemic and that didn't do anything. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't catch that at all. Uh, so we had a global pandemic and that didn't do much to it, which is insane. Yeah. In the grand, in the grand scheme of things that didn't, that wasn't as disruptive as you would think it would be compared yeah. to other events in the past. Like you look at the death toll of COVID, right? And it's uh, what is it? It's like ten. How many millions of people? Um, I think there was a million. I know it was like a million in the U.S. alone, right? Yeah. So I forget what the death toll of COVID is worldwide, but if you look at that as in comparison to the population of the world, it's not that as it's not that catastrophic, We're really. We're looking at 6.58 million globally. Yes, yeah, so not to minimize it or anything, but it's not that catastrophic compared to events in the past. You got to, re you remember, there's like been, there's been famines and genocides that have happened in individual countries that have killed a lot more people than that, and that's what spurred on some kind of massive change. So the Black Plague was 75 to 200 million people by yeah, exactly. Oh. That did, the Black Plague actually did spur on uh, big changes as well because so much of the workforce got killed off. Workers, uh, the you know the peasantry who are also workers could also uh, actually bargain because there were few of them, fewer of them. They could actually bargain for higher wages with the lords. So that's an example. But also like uh, I think the upcoming uh, climate catastrophe that's going to happen 
will be a lot more impactful than say COVID. Uh, COVID what you know COVID was pretty bad but this is going to displace like a billion people and kill probably a hundred million people at least when the climate stuff kicks off like fully kicks off I mean it's kicking off now but when it when it you know it really really happens and you have one billion people displaced because of uh, flooding and rising um rising uh, tides that's when you're actually going to see the massive societal change and i don't think i don't think the system as it exists now can actually cope with that at all i mean you see you see what how europe reacted to just one million syrian refugees the massive right-wing turn the fortifying of europe the putting these people in camps and stuff like that and shooting them and massacring them and sinking their boats um you know there was that in portugal or spain there was that just uh it was last year or it was at the beginning of this year when there were like a hundred people massacred refugees um i think it was in spain or portugal or morocco um they'd come up from they'd come up from africa now imagine that but imagine like the syria crisis times 100 because a hundred uh sorry yeah sorry times by a thousand because Mm -hmm. A million times a thousand is a billion people. A billion people are going to be displaced. So you think about the uh, massive, the massive uh, effect that's going to have. You think Europe's becoming fascist now? Just wait until there's one billion refugees trying to get in. Um, they're going to go. They're going to start sinking boats. That's what they're going to do. I mean, that's. <laughs> If you listen to that speech, and I think we've talked about it before, I know I talked about it on my podcast recently, but that uh, Joseph Burrell, like the foreign policy minister, was up there talking about, you know, how the rest of the world is a jungle and Europe is a garden and you need strong walls to keep, you know, the jungle dwellers out. I mean, this is this guy's speech. I mean, it's it's fortress Europe. Right. I mean, so it is viewed, I think, as, oh, like, you know, they've got socialism and they've got healthcare and things like that. But I mean, pretty violently fascist to um, refugees as it is right now, as it exists. And to your point, it's only going to get worse. You know, Italy just elected a fascist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like it's just not imagine- just Europe. It's not just we're seeing it in the U.S. here, too. We just had on the 405. Um, there was a literal like nazi demonstration um for those of you that aren't aware the 405 highway is the most used most passed highway in the entire country um they did a banner drop and they actually said like that that this was like the leader of a really well-known prominent like um alt-right group um it was they're specifically anti-semitic and white supremacists and the sign was like mentioning like Kanye is right about the Jews because Kanye's had his oh, uh, Jesus. and it's just this is not isolated to you like it's it's global. We are seeing just like everyone starting to lean into this just like fascism might save us kind of idea, and it's uh, we've seen this before. I mean, it's not Australia. Australia is going to get hurt. Australia, New Zealand, they're the same. Um, a lot of the countries. <laughs> A lot of other countries will operate the same way as Europe did during the Syria crisis. Uh, they're going to fortify themselves and just sink boats that come full of refugees, basically, or throw them in camps. That's that's what's going to happen. They'll put them in camps until it becomes too many people, then they'll just start killing them. That's what's going to happen. It's horrible, but that's what's going to happen. And that's that's the way it's the system's set up um, to operate. 
It's uh, so yeah. absurd. We have yeah. the technology. We have the resources. We just need to reallocate them more efficiently. Yeah, ecofascism is a big thing, especially in like modern day media. Like a lot of Zoomers get doom pilled, and then they slide very much towards ecofascism. Like for example, the new Harley Quinn TV show season three. Poison Ivy's like an entire ecofascist. He's literally making like man-eating plants and terraforming the whole planet and talking about taking it back from the humans. Like very obvious ecofascist stuff that is like that is influenced by Malthus. I hate Malthus so much. The whole overpopulation shit, it pisses me off to like an insane degree. But yeah, it's it's very it's very common right now because of how depressed people feel and they look at like historical, I don't know, events and how today's being run, and they put the same amount of blame on average Joes as they do corporations. It's it's, it's crazy. If you've watched the movie... Intrinsic and shit. I don't know if you've seen the movie Look Who's Back. Um, it's a pretty good film. It's about if Hitler came back. Um, it's pretty funny. Um, it's, a, it's like a comedy. It's a German comedy called Look Who's Back if Hitler came back, and it's a very, very clever film. Um, because it's a, it's one, it's satirical, but also it's sort of a commentary on the state of modern Germany, where this guy could walk around dressed as Hitler. It had like, you know, Borat would walk around as Borat and interact with Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it had that sort of thing, but a guy dressed as Hitler in Germany, and uh, an alarming number of Germans were not immediately, viscerally offended by it by seeing this um so that's what the movie sort of touches on and the plot of the movie is hitler comes back and becomes an eco-fascist he sees what's happening in the world now and being the opportunist that he is he understands that uh, environmentalism is an important uh an important topic and he uh molds that with his his fascist ideology where it becomes about, yeah, and he basically becomes an eco-fascist and becomes p- extremely popular again. Uh, it's a movie I think everyone should watch. It's called Look Who's Back. Um, but yeah, yeah, eco, eco-fascism is going to be the, uh, the, way, the, way things, yeah. the way things will progress. The spearhead. But I mean, we, yeah. we like fantasize and kind of glorify the concept of eco-fascism though. Like as a nation that's just sort of like pro-war, Culturally, we make movies like Mad Max about the like post-apocalyptic eco-fascist state and how people are going to be literally warring over water. And it's just like, we could just change things and not have to get there. Like, yeah, but that's where like, I think the otherizing as part of like eco-fascism becomes really important to, you know, the project of maintaining capitalism, right? Because Think about it. All but the most insane people, the most lost in the sauce are like climate denialists, right? Like I, I know there's some people still out there like saying it's not a thing, it's liberal bullshit, but like even conservatives and people in America, like nut jobs are, they know something's happening. I mean, again, you have to be totally asleep, right? But so I was, you brought up a movie and I was thinking about that, um, that Seaspiracy. It was, I think, like a Netflix documentary or something like that. And it was about climate change it was about like overfishing and i guess as i saw it it could be very much it, it could give people of that ilk like conservative but still recognizing that there's a problem but it could let them point to you know asian countries as an example and fishing as like oh you know this is the problem 
for, you know, this is a huge problem with climate change. It's the fucking Chinese again. You know what I mean? And that's the kind of thing where, you know, you could use that in an eco-fascist kind of landscape to, again, make sure you have that other, right? Definitely a problem. I mean, we, again, just by the very nature of capitalism, there's no way to rein that in. When your system literally is isn't who's benefiting people the most. It's not, you know, who can solve the most problems. It's just who can make the most money. And that's the system. And what we see that playing out as, like we have these giant mega corporations that are polluting the planet, just factoring the fines into their business model. It's not being kept in check. There's it is a runaway train that needs to be reined in and people would are just like, but that means we'd have to change things. And it's like, Oh yeah. Cause if yeah. we don't. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, uh, Len- Lennon, there are uh, scientists handcuffing themselves to like problematic banks and even like people self immolating just to try to draw attention yeah. to this cause. It, it is, it is the time to have done something. I mean, we know, we all know Lenin, Lenin wrote um, that fascism is just capitalism in crisis or capitalism mm-hmm. in decay. I think it was Lenin who wrote that uh, from memory. Yeah. It's like this, we know what the natural progression of this is and the crisis that is going, we, it requires an actual existential crisis to decay into fascism. And, you know, COVID uh, did, did it to some extent. I think COVID definitely helped uh, kick off some sort of small to medium-sized sort of fascist movements in different parts of the world. Um, but the the climate crisis is going to be that times a thousand. Like, it's going to, it's really going to kick it off, you know? Um, that's going to be the crisis. That's going to be the crisis for capitalism that finally pushes um, these countries over the edge into full-on full on fascism. If they're not there already, which you can make the case for places like America that they definitely are there already. It just hasn't necessarily come home yet you know and i don't know like i think this is why an understanding of imperialism as we're talking about this and i'm going to try to drop back to like where we started this conversation right it's because like i don't want to live in a world where you know we in the u.s as it exists still live in you know a place such that they, we recognize that we can you know reduce production and maybe there's just a four-day work week for everyone right in in the united states or maybe europe as well but maybe we get that but like we're shooting fucking refugees or still keeping them on you know what i mean i just don't want to live in a world where yeah make maybe you can still enjoy that privilege as part of like again the imperial core but that relies upon, again, in this future scenario, literally like killing migrants and refugees and shit like that. So like that's why that's why I think at the end of the day, you look at something like the the Scandinavian, the Nordic model, and it's like imploding before our eyes because it's not fucking it's not actual true socialism. It's not internationalist at all. It's not anti-xenophobic xenophobic. In fact, it's predicated upon xenophobia, right? It's a social safety net for the scandinavians right so that's all i'm saying is as we head toward this shit i think that maybe there will be some you know there's going to be changes right and i could see a scenario where there's concessions offered to you know again the, the citizens of the state as long as they're chill with you know 
taking care of business internationally, right? Which is yeah, which is already what goes on, you know what yeah. I mean? It's what's already happening, but it's yeah. just going to be magnified, you know, right. much worse. It's like essentially like a return to feudalism. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, but feudalism didn't really guarantee any kind of safety net for anyone involved. I don't, I don't know. Like peasants, medieval peasants worked six months out of the year. They had way more free time than we did. I, I don't know. <laughs> they did die. They did regularly die in famines and stuff like that all the yeah, time. Plague did like not have any resistance wiping out that part of the population. If you, had, yeah, if you had a bad harvest or whatever, so it is. I think it is. Yeah, kind of, sure. I think it is kind of a little bit uh, uh, different, but yeah, you you are you are right. Yeah. Fair. Very it, fair. It, yeah, it's just one of those. It's just one of those things. It's not going to be good. It's. <laughs> I foresee the future. Uh, have an idea of what's going to happen regarding climate change and what these countries are going to do, and it's not going to be good. The good things will not be happening. I'm waiting for those um, company towns to start popping back up. I'm waiting for Amazon to drop the Amazon buck, and just start like having people live in an Amazon distribution whatever they they're going to disbursement center or whatever the hell they decide to yeah. call it. Yeah. We're one day away from literally like cyberpunk type shit. The whole game is on the premise of like, uh, Arisaka, which is just a mega corporation running the whole country. We're so close to that. It's hilarious. Well, it's like, it's even proven that like having an Amazon distribution center land in your locale, like lowers the average wage of the, of the, the businesses around of the available mm. employment and so like again even like i mentioned with walmart like this exploitation this this ravishing of local economy is part of the business model they yeah. know people aren't going to have enough money to pay rent they know they're going to be rely on social services they don't care because again capitalism is just who can make the most money not who can help people or solve problems um, no, I quite sure. like Ward's, Ward made this point on Turn Leftist um, regarding the sort of cyberpunk universes or like that that game, cyberpunk, and then there's yeah. like the Blade Runner universes. And like, you look at those and it's like, okay, cool. That's the neon lights and whatever and the hyper-capitalism. Basically, basically Ward's point is like, actually, that's now. Like we currently <laughs> do that. We just mm. don't have the we don't have the neon lights and the cool you know the guns that come out of our arms or whatever. We <laughs> what we we're have is yeah, we're pretty much there in effect. Like and America has arguably always been like this since its founding, a country run by the the companies that are within it. The government is just oh wow. Puppets. Speaking of games, yeah. I've been streaming Hard Space Shipbreaker, and it's been yeah. one of my most viewed games lately. It is set in a hyper capitalist future reality where to take a job, because like Earth has been devastated by famines and we've destroyed the environment and it's no longer barely habitable. Gee, that sounds likely. Um, and we've somehow found a way to expand into the solar system and start extracting resources. And so the game is you accept a job in orbit, just dissembling um, spaceships for recycling. And, and so they can just take things from them to build new ships and shit. But the setting is that to get this job, you have to agree to just basically give away all of your rights, like your genetic rights, everything. And when you accept the job, they put you into $1.5 billion of debt. And your job is to first work out of that debt. 
<laughs> and it's just like, holy fuck, this is too real. I can only imagine like if they could start getting like to where resources are so unobtainable, you must like just sign up for indentured servitude just to have even a chance to survive. And yeah, just I can't, imagine, I can't imagine a world or a country uh, that where you have to uh, go in debt tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of oh, thousands of yeah. dollars to get some kind of, let's say, a qualification to uh, get a job somewhere. I know, right? Can you imagine? Yeah, like, that's, that's what kind of fucked up shit is that? It's down <laughs> to, like, when, every day when you wake up, they announce, thank you, you've gotten your eight hours. If you sleep any additional time, it will be deducted from the following day's pay. And you're just like, whoa. We are going there. Yeah, like, we're headed terrible. there. Can we please turn the wheel? Can we do something? Yeah. We are heading there. We should uh we should maybe think about doing um some kind of entertainment based episode at some point to- totally dedicated to that. Maybe we could talk about like some of our favorite games or things recently that we've been playing that we, you know we could draw some so commentary down. on. That's all I that do. would be fun. <laughs> yeah, I like the predictive. I like the predictive capacity of media in the yeah. sense that, that a lot yeah. of the people who are making the the directors and writers um and the sort of vision the vision quote unquote visionaries behind. Uh, a lot of games and movies and books, uh, they're seeing trends in their society and they're just extrapolating them into the future and saying, hey, this is how this could turn out. And, you know, a lot of aspects are highly exaggerated. But then you look at the way the world is going and you're like, hmm, maybe there's, uh, you know, they might have exaggerated in like, you know, they might have exaggerated a couple of aspects here or there. Um, but the overarching thing is it's like, ah, we are kind of heading in that. Yeah, everything's relatable in that sense, to your point. Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, that's one of my favorite things to do is because I'm, I'm a basic bitch. I tend to play and stream mostly just like AAA titles. But even then, I am obviously like very socialist and it's entrenched in my beliefs. And I can't help but point out when I f- see those little things that developers have put in there just sort of poking fun or, and honestly, yeah, I see hard school shipbreaker as a warning shot. And it's just like, they're, they're literally, like you said, they're just taking the pieces of our society and just sort of tightening them and expanding them. And it's very prevalent. And I don't think that I saw it as much in previous generations of games as I'm starting to see more and more regular, like there's even games that like dabble with communism and things like it's getting to be, somewhat in our culture is where i never saw it before and i just want to keep encouraging all the baby socialists out there especially the ones listening to us keep going like we can change things we need everyone all hands on deck there's no point in giving up otherwise we give in to losing but like even popular culture is starting to give in to like this isn't sustainable yeah we know something's wrong we can change things we just need uh, we need a majority of people to be on the same page. Definitely. Well, I think that's probably as good a note to any to as any to wrap up tonight. So yeah, to that point, go out and hang out with your friends. Go radicalize yeah. your friends. Mm-hmm. Like meet up and play video games in person and radicalize yeah. them and talk to them. Right? It's important. You know, it really is. It, it makes you feel better. Um, so just want to thank you guys all for joining. Um, you know, on, on that last note, you know, go out and organize as well. That's a great way to uh, meet people, join PSL, join DSA, whatever you've got locally that you can mm-hmm. get yeah, plugged into. Party. You know what I mean? Yeah, whatever it is, just go do something because that's a great way to meet people as well. And, you know, make connections with like-minded folks, right? 
Um, but in any case, uh, just wanted to get that in there. So, uh, but thanks, Jared, Jamie, KK. It was great seeing you guys. Yep. And uh, we'll get this all out with everybody's links and all that. And uh, hopefully we'll all see right. you guys next time. Always a pleasure. Yeah, for sure. See you. All right. See you later, man. Solidarity. Solidarity.